Great to be together again, and we are excited because Joe Choi, our new worship and arts pastor, this is his first official weekend. He's with us now, and I know there aren't the usual hugs and warmth, but uh, we'll still take it. And right now, uh, our team just keeps growing. We're so grateful to God how he's provided, and it's a new season there as well. Liz continues to be our worship leader in addition, so we just look forward to the weekends and praising Jesus together. And we need to praise the Lord in times like this. These are historic times in our country. And I was listening to Tony Evans ask the question, are we going to live like we are united, one nation under God? And I think under God, honoring God, united together, and yet we see a lot of perilous things happening. And if you weren't here Wednesday, we uh, walked through moving from racism to healing. And I encourage you to check that out on our YouTube channel. You can subscribe or else on our Facebook page for Grace Community Church. And this is important to point out. Uh, I want to be so clear that racism is wrong. Jesus and racism never go together. Jesus is against racism. But we know that racism is real. And I spent a lot of time in conversations this week, just listening to people's stories. Uh, there's a lot of people in our church, people of color, and then also uh, just around the sound and even the nation. And in those conversations, I, I heard so much pain and a lot of grieving. And to enter in, to grieve together, and then to understand more. And I admit, as a white person, there's a lot of times where I'm either unaware of what's happening, or I'm minimizing, maybe unintentionally, or I'm silent. And racism is not going to go away by itself. It's not just going to walk away. So we need to speak up. And I'm convinced, not out of place of shame, but out of a grace-based motivation, I want to not be silent. I want to speak up and what I pray is that we would have a greater unity, there would be greater equity, and a greater love. We would truly love our neighbors, and we would come together. In our most difficult times, we look to Jesus, and God often does his greatest work. And we're praying ultimately for an awakening during this time, because it is so clear how much our country needs Jesus right now. And in this series, uh, focusing on Jesus— We've been looking through the Gospel of Luke, studying the Bible together, how Jesus is healing, Jesus is strengthening, Jesus is nourishing, and then Jesus is transforming us. And today, we get to the point in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending, and he's sending us. And so let's uh, look to the Lord together in prayer. Father God, thank you that you are our healer, a refuge, strength, and ever-present help in times of trouble. And Lord, we know how much we need you individually. We know how much our nation needs you right now. God, and we pray that you would bring unity, you'd bring healing, you'd bring understanding. God, you'd bring repentance, and we would turn from anything that doesn't honor you, God. We'd be in alignment with you. God, we're praying for your strength today, your power, your love. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and we'll give you all the glory, God, for the good things that you're going to do even during this difficult time. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. As we start summer now, this is really a process. We're starting to reopen. You think about restaurants reopening, businesses reopening. We look forward to the time, uh, Lord willing, not too long. We'll let you know where we're gathered together here again as a church family. And with this reopening, I think some people are excited. Some people are a little tired right now. Some are both. It's kind of a combination, excited and tired. I see excitement on social media as people post pictures. 
We're finally in a restaurant. Chips and salsa in a restaurant. This is so good. We're never taking this for granted again. And some of those simple pleasures are going to return, those opportunities that we've been waiting for. But then there's also a sense where people are kind of tired. And I know we're using the phrase, we're going to return to normal. But then deep inside, we kind of know this doesn't feel like normal. We know this isn't quite normal. And there's a phrase from the UK, it's in the mixer. Well, what's in the mixer? There's a lot in the mixer right now. We have COVID still and the virus, about a thousand people still dying a day. So that's a reality. We have uh, the economy that we're watching, then racism, and we see what's happening in our country right now. Uh, Then we have politics in an election year, And all that's starting to get more and more attention. But underneath it all, we have spiritual decisions. And we're deciding about following Jesus and honoring the Lord. And all of this is in the mixture. What an interesting time. It's a fascinating time right now. It's not a time to give up hope. It's a time where we trust Jesus. We rise up, rise up together. And that's what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 10 to this group of 72 who he's going to send into the world to glorify him, to abide and respond, to glorify the Lord. And it's a time right now where we're being sent, sent into the world as the world is starting to reopen for us. Now, we've always been sent, but in kind of a fresh way, we're being sent again into the world where God has placed us, into the sound, into the neighborhoods, into the workplaces. And as we re-enter right now, I think this is a timely passage Because we get to stop and think. We've kind of had a reset. What is our purpose? What is Jesus sending us to do in this world? And we want to have a vision that's bigger than just, you know, restaurants, fajitas, guacamole, as good as that sounds, and I'm looking forward to more of that. As good as that is, we know there's a deep purpose in how Jesus sends all of us into this world. And Luke chapter 10 really highlights it. And we have, uh, well, a group of 72. Did you know that's the average size of a church in America? About 72 to 75 people. So picture this. Jesus is sending out the church. Jesus is sending the church to go love the world. There's kind of a decentralization I think this has been a wake-up call for a lot of churches. It's so easy to have a centralized mentality where everything is centered around the building. And programs are at the top of the list. Programs in a building. And we say, come to the programs, come to the building. Well, what do we do when we can't have the programs because we can't open up a building? That's a huge adjustment and a pivot for a lot of churches. But a healthy way to live for Jesus is to know this. It's not programs first, it's relationships first. And it's not primarily about a building, it's about people And it's not that we tell everyone just to come here, but Jesus sends us to go and to love people where we live, work, learn, or play. We're on mission together. And Jesus is reminding the 72, he's reminding each and every church that we're on mission to go, serve, and love. And we're to do it in a way that's united. And it's going to be powerful as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So how do we go into the world? Here's seven truths from Luke chapter 10. We don't usually cover seven, so this is going to move along a little quicker, but I really wanted to highlight all seven. Let's start in verse 1. 
We read, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And also verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. I want to highlight the first truth. God often chooses unlikely and even unimpressive, in the world's eyes, unimpressive people who will simply trust him. Notice that Jesus doesn't pick the most religious people. Jesus doesn't necessarily look for the most educated people. It doesn't even say that this group of 72 is the most gifted people. That's not who Jesus chose. It doesn't say that they, their incomes were big, their bank accounts were big, that they had uh, high-ranking positions or status. And it doesn't say any of that. So what do these 72 people have in common? They know Jesus and they love people. Isn't that what's most important in our lives and in ministry, in any church, to know Jesus and to love people? Now, Jesus sends out the 72, and they're two by two. Notice they're in teams. They're together. They're working together. God's design is unity and collaboration in teams. You see it in Jesus' life, the Apostle Paul. You see it throughout the Bible. One another, it's not so much individualistic as it is together in teams. And God chooses people who are unlikely. That's the pattern throughout history, the Bible, and we see it today. God chooses unlikely people, and in our weakness, his power is made clear. I was reading a story this week about a 10-year-old named Chelsea. So inspiring. Do you know, during the COVID virus, she has sent off 1,500 art kits. And who does she send these kits to? Kids in the foster care system and also kids who are homeless. She's only 10 years old. When she was seven years old, she was begging her parents that she could start helping kids who are homeless, helping kids in the foster care system. And her parents, you know, at first were a little startled and then tried to get her just to slow down, wait a little bit, but she was so enthusiastic. And it continued and continued. So these kits were sent, 1,500 kits, to people in 12 states. And before the virus, she was traveling around to different cities and states, personally delivering the kits. Of course, she can't do that right now. But the 1,500 kits have gel pens, colored pencils, paper, I uh, see coloring books, a whole bunch of great stuff. And she says, I just know and I've seen how happy it makes the kids who are homeless and also in the foster care system to send them these art kits. You say, that's kind of unlikely, isn't it? I mean, do you know anyone who sent out 1,500 art kits? And if I told you that was happening, you might picture an adult. You might picture maybe even a teenager, but someone who's 10 years old, God moves through anyone who will trust him, who will trust him. And God has given you so many incredible resources and opportunities. Don't shrink God's vision. And with that, think about Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Chapter one, look at Jeremiah's story, starting in verse five. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. That was his excuse. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you. 
and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. What do we learn about Jeremiah? He was called, he was chosen, and there's a calling on his life where God continued to lead him, God would speak through him, and ultimately God's going to be glorified, and Jeremiah's going to use those gifts that he was so hesitant to use. Do you ever feel hesitant? Battling with fears? Feeling inadequate? God, there's the calling, but... I'm only this. And Jeremiah said, I'm not very good at speaking. And, and I'm too young. And, and I don't think I can. And we all have our own excuses. But the truth is, and we sang about it earlier, the truth is you are chosen, you are called, you are gifted, the Lord will lead you, and the Lord is with you. And that's the truth. Chosen, gifted, called, the Lord's with you, the Lord will lead you. And when you take that in, what does it build up? It builds up trust. It builds up trust in the Lord. And that's at the core of being sent. You can think about a lot of things like, well, where am I sent? And what am I going to do? And what am I going to say? And all all this and what are the results going to be? And then what's going to happen? And how's it all going to play out? And what about the uncertainties? You can think about all those things, but those are secondary. At the core, will you trust God? And in that conversation between Jeremiah and God, Jeremiah grows in his trust of the Lord. He's going to say, yes, God uses unlikely people, unlikely people like you and me and so many others. It's God's grace. That's the point. It's God's grace. Let's trust him more. And maybe you're at that point where you say, yes, Lord, send me. Where do you even start? What is the next step? We see it right here in verse two. He told them, Jesus speaking to the 72, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Here's the second truth. Prayer is the first thing to do and the first thing to learn. When you're following Jesus, the first thing to learn, the first thing to start doing is praying. Jesus says harvesting and praying. Now, what is harvesting? Jesus is always talking about the harvest so frequently. The harvest, the harvest, the harvest. What's the harvest? It's more than just agricultural. The harvest, people. The harvest is changed lives. How are there going to be changed lives, changed families, changed communities, cities, and a nation? Well, you start with prayer. In our church, we have different initiatives to encourage us in prayer because we all know we get stuck. We get lazy. We get distracted. So we have 24-7 prayer where different people take a half hour at a time. So we'll continue to pray and have that habit of prayer. We have fasting on Tuesdays. Every Tuesday, pick a meal, fast, seek the Lord. January, we have fasting. Three weeks in January, every Tuesday night on Facebook Live, we have a time of prayer together as a church family. Prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting. Why? Prayer and fasting leads to harvesting. And Jesus says, pray that more people would say yes. Pray that more people get involved. I want to tell you, in God's kingdom, there's no unemployment. There, what's the unemployment rate? 0.0000. Why? Because everyone's gifted. Everyone has a purpose. Everyone has a calling. Everyone has assignment. Everyone has resources, opportunities. Everyone's needed. Everyone's important. 
And so pray that people would realize how important they are, realize what their gifts are, that they would say yes, they would get involved. It wouldn't just be a couple people, but together as a church family. And that's the sweetness. If you've been at different churches over your life, you probably know what it looks like when just a couple people do everything. And then you know what it looks like when a whole church is alive and the whole church family is alive. And Jesus says, pray for this. As you go and just getting ready to go, pray that together people would see what God's doing and they would say, I'm in, I'm in. John chapter 17, Jesus prayed. He prayed for us. And you know what he prayed? He prayed we would be united. We'd be so united that then the world would know Jesus. The world would know the love of Jesus. So think about those three aspects. Praying, united, and the world would know Jesus. Now, if the world isn't really hearing the gospel, then you back up and you say, well, are we really united? Are we really all in? And then if you say, well, I don't really see that, then you back up further and you say, well, how's the prayer? How's the prayer? Because the pattern in scripture is pray, unite and love each other, and then go reach the world. Pray, unite, reach the world. And if we're not reaching the world, we're probably not united. And if we're not united, we're probably not praying. So Jesus really makes it clear. Start with prayer. You think harvest, let's go out and harvest. No, no, pray, pray and fast. And then say yes to the Lord and he will guide you and harvesting will come. It leads to the third truth. And this is one where a lot of people are gonna do a double take right here. The mission is dangerous and urgent. The mission is dangerous and urgent. Take a look at verse three. Go, Jesus says, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet one another in the road. What does that mean? Uh, Stay focused, travel light, don't carry a bunch of extra stuff. Uh, You can see the conversations, you know. Oh, Get rid of the man purse. You heard Jesus. He told you we're not taking the man purse along. And there's a bunch of people. Guys say, all right, I'm not taking the purse. I'm not taking the bag. I'm not taking the sandals. I'm not taking, we're not taking it. We're not taking it. And they're having to almost think through, why? What's going on? There's a reliance on the Lord. We're gonna travel light. We're on the move. We don't need a whole bunch of stuff. You know what happens in our lives when we get a whole bunch of extra stuff? We get distracted, don't we? I mean, now we got stuff to take care of. Then we got to keep that. And we got to fix that. And what are we going to do with that? And let's buy more of that. And pretty soon, stuff, stuff, stuff. Jesus is saying, travel light. And by the way, this is going to be a dangerous mission. Are you still in? If Jesus was talking to you today and said, the mission's going to be dangerous. I'm sending you out and it's dangerous. Are you still in? Or do you ask, how dangerous? Well, what's going to happen? <laughs> and he said, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. He didn't say, you're a wolf going out to wolves. He didn't say that. You're not a wolf. He didn't say, I'm going to send you out like a wolf in the middle of the lambs. I mean, that's happened in some churches. Wolves will show up and just do a lot of damage to lambs. That's not coming from Jesus. He doesn't say, I'm sending you out as a lamb with a lot of other lambs. Nope, that's not the picture. He says, lambs in the middle of the wolves. That means it's going to be dangerous. There's going to be a lot of opposition. If you really live for me, there's going to be a lot of opposition and you're going to need to stay alert. If you're a lamb with a lot of wolves around, you need to stay alert and stay prayerful as well. These are realities that Jesus lays out about the mission 
And by the way, the mission has not changed. In 2,000 years, the mission hasn't changed. The mission's the same, and it's still just as significant as when Jesus first gave it. I want to think back to the Gospel of John together. Again, about 2,000 years ago, this is what Jesus says. After the resurrection, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive and leave. Receive the Holy Spirit. Go where God wants you to go and say and do what God wants you to do. And, and with all that, receiving, leaving, receiving, leaving, the mission is to go out into the world, to love the world, serve the world, and lead the world to Jesus. And that's coming straight uh, from the Lord to us, to our hearts, to our lives. And it's not to go imitate the world and blend in. And it's not to retreat and stay distant from everybody. No, it's to go in the world, but not be of the world, and to shine your light for the Lord. And that's been consistent 2,000 years. That's true when the virus is here. That's true when the virus is gone. You say, this sounds difficult. It is. This doesn't sound natural. It might not be, but it is the most joyful and meaningful life. Don't waste your life. Answer the call. Rely on the Lord. Lives are going to be changed. You've got to lay down your life for lives to be changed. God will be with you. God will help you. They're taking in the mission. They're saying yes to the Lord. And then here's a fourth truth. Invest where there's a genuine interest in Jesus. Invest your time, your energy, your finances where there's a genuine interest in Jesus, where people are teachable. Now, there's a contrast here. Jesus often lays out contrast. Take a look at verse 5. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man or woman of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Now stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Interesting, hospitality. And then don't be picky. Don't be picky about where you're going to stay. Just be content there as they welcome you. Don't be picky about the food. Eat what they give to you. I remember when I was in Zimbabwe and I was served some things that I really didn't know what they were. And my friend and I kind of, we'd say, well, it's a mystery meat. We're not going to ask. We're just going to eat. And the picture is there's hospitality. You're received. And then you, you bring love and acceptance and warmth and look for that person of peace. This is a classic passage when it comes to missions, but don't think of missions as just overseas. Uh, you look around and you say, well, who's receptive? Who's spiritually hungry? Who's interested? Who wants to have conversations? And in every culture, there's people who do and there's people who don't. In every city, there's people who do and people who don't. <clears throat> what about the people who don't? Look at verse 10. Jesus is realistic about that. He says, but when you enter a town and you're not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. And then also in verse 16, Jesus says, he who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. What does that mean to dust off, right? Uh, take that dust off the feet. Uh, it's symbolic, it's prophetic, 
And it really meant do everything you can, but then there's going to be some things out of your control. So be faithful, trust God with the results, but you can't force anyone to love God. And at that point, uh, it doesn't mean you give up on somebody, but it means that you're faithful and do everything you can possibly do. And there were people that were simply going to reject the 72, going to reject Jesus. And here's the interesting part. What were the 72 bringing? They were bringing good news. I go back to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And in the book of Isaiah, we hear about people bringing good news. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet. We're just talking about dust off the feet. Are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns, that you can literally bring the best news in the world. You can say God is good. God is for you. God loves you. God has sent his son. He died for your sins. It's grace. He's risen from the grave. And you know what? He wants to have a relationship with you and you can't earn it. Yes, you've sinned and rebelled, but he forgives you. It's already paid for. Now you can know God. You can have eternal life. You can have abundant life right now. You can have peace with God. You can declare the absolute best news in the world. You know what's going to happen a lot of times? You're going to get rejected. Rejected. That's the irony. You're going to bring the very best news and you're going to experience rejection. And Jesus knew that. Rejection was going to be common for Jesus, and it's going to be common for his followers. It's going to be common for anyone who shares the gospel. But there's a difference between the Messiah and the messenger. Why is the messenger rejected? Because the Messiah's rejected. So don't take it too personally, but you know what? People have always rejected Jesus, and they're going to reject people who bring the gospel, and they're going to reject the gospel because Everyone has a choice, and not everyone is ready to receive love from God. Not everyone is ready to follow Jesus. Continue to pray. Don't give up on anybody. But as you bring good news, don't walk away disillusioned when you get rejected. Rejection was common for Jesus. Rejection is common for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. You say, well, that involves relationship risks. I kind of have an idol of how people view me. Well, those idols are going to be shattered and those relationship risks are going to happen. Don't be weird. Don't be obnoxious. Don't be full of pride. But in a humble way, you're still going to be rejected. And that's because people reject Jesus. And when you you think about the opportunity then and you think about the opportunity we have now, back then they traveled along the Roman road and things were opened up and they could go from city to city. We read that in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul is going from city to city and he's moving around in Asia and Europe and he's spreading the gospel. They had the Roman road. But you know what? Today, we have uh, one road we have is digital media. And I'd say the last three months, it's been so clear as we've connected with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I want to say definitively that people are very interested in Jesus. People are very interested in spiritual things. People are very interested in the Bible. People are very interested in God. This is a time in our country right now. People are looking for hope and they're looking to God and the interest levels are high. And one way to connect is through digital ministry. I'm grateful for our team here. I'm grateful how many people in our church are seeing that in through Zoom, Facebook, emails, texts. There's so many opportunities right now, sharing links that the gospel is spreading around the sound, around the nation in incredible new ways. Now, I don't think it should stop with digital. It should go from digital to personal. And that's our goal as a church. 
We connect maybe initially digitally with a lot of people, but then it comes into relationships and close and personal. And I've seen how many people are opening up their hearts, their minds, their souls. Even though it's through a digital platform, people are so open and hungry right now. And so, uh, yes, in person, that's always primary. But I'll tell you, the Apostle Paul right now be salivating at the opportunity, and it's not mistaken from heaven how God has provided for us right now to share the good news through digital ministry and then also personally. Uh, we live in an incredible time. There's incredible opportunities, and, and let's, uh, again, know this for sure. People are very interested in Jesus right now. You're surrounded by people. Maybe they don't know Jesus yet, but they're very interested in Jesus. And if you're watching and you're just exploring about Jesus right now, we're so honored that you're with us. And I encourage you to start to read through this Gospel of Luke and just say a simple prayer. Jesus, I want to know who you are. I really want to know who you are. And God will reveal who he is and his love to you. Let's move on to the fifth truth. And this is to bring healing. Take a look what's happening in verse 9. Jesus says this, which uh, we've got to, you know, say, wait a second, what does this mean for us? Verse 9, he says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. All right, heal the sick. They had gifts where there was just miraculous healings happening frequently. I believe God still heals miraculously. But I also believe that healing comes on so many different levels. Healing can come through prayer. Healing can come through provision and gifts. Healing can come through friendship. Healing can come when you share God's word. Healing can come in so many different ways. And here's what Jesus is saying. Bring healing. As you go as an ambassador, which you already are, uh, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, bring healing. Heal and tell. Meet physical needs and meet spiritual needs. It's always a both and. I, I watch followers of Jesus get in these massive debates about, well, we should meet physical needs. Well, we should meet spiritual needs. Well, we need to meet physical, spiritual. And in the Bible, it's simply both and. They're both good. They're both important. Yes, we meet physical needs and we meet spiritual needs. And you know what? Any kind of healing attests to the goodness of God. Healing attests, and it did then through the miracles of who Jesus is and how loving God is. And when God uses you as an instrument of healing in people's lives, emotional, physical, financial, relational healing, it's a testimony to the goodness of God. And one thing that our church is actively doing right now, when you think about meeting physical needs and spiritual needs, I love this, Team World Vision. We have people who are, have been participating all week long, 26.2 miles. You know, a lot of people have said it's a virtual race because the race, the marathon, downtown Seattle was canceled as an official race. So everyone's running like in their neighborhoods and on trails and things. And it's called a virtual race. I want to tell you, these miles are real. There's nothing virtual about these miles. These are real miles. My wife and I have been running, including our kids. I want to show you a couple pictures of people in our church family who have been running this week. Here, look at this. Owen and Dylan running together, brother and sister. Now, Owen was too young to officially enter, but look, he, he made his own little card right there. He's got the shirt on, and he is in there. And you know what they said for their family together? It's been a time of running, walking, praying, talking, bonding together. That's the beauty. When you start to serve people and you start to sacrifice for people, you notice this bond and this coming together. The whole point of this race is to bring clean water for people and for kids around the world. 
Here, $50 brings clean water for one child for life. And as they're serving together overseas, what's happening? Their family's having a great time. One more picture. Uh, here's Carol, who's been going after it. And she said, all right, this maybe wouldn't naturally be her event to go 26 miles, but she has been all in. And why? Because those kids need clean water. Here's some great news so far. And, you know, it continues, so it's not finished. But there's been $58,000 raised 58,000 in the middle of a pandemic this year. Incredible. Just thank you for the generosity. That's over 1,000 children who are going to receive clean water for life. And that's meeting physical needs. And then also those children are going to, a lot of times, hear about Jesus. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to find churches in their area. So it's a beautiful picture of physical and spiritual and the needs going together. Uh, There is a... Well, we say abide and respond, and that means abide, relationship, closeness with God. And when we're close with God, John chapter 15, there's going to be fruit. We're going to respond. And I think from this chapter, you could say witness to witness. The witness, the closeness, being with Jesus, uh, with God, filled with his spirit, it's going to lead to a witness. If there's no witness going on, then you need to check if the witness is happening. And don't settle for less than both. And that's what the 72 are doing. When you do that, healing is the result. When you make that choice to abide and respond with the Lord, witness for the Lord, healing will come. God's going to do it through you. And then we reach this sixth truth, which is, well, uh, this is intriguing. This is one that maybe you don't hear that often, but I want to say cities have a responsibility. Okay, let's listen to Jesus and starting in verse 12, we're going to go again from individual to the city, from just me to we together. And verse 12, Jesus says, I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, Sodom Gomorrah, Genesis 19, Old Testament. We can't unpack the whole story, but they were making some vile decisions and there was judgment. There was accountability. Uh, Now we look at what Jesus says, verse 13. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe means warning. It's a pronouncement. Uh, Judgment is coming. You're going to be responsible. That day, the Bible says that There is a day we're going to come before God. We're going to be held accountable. And uh, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. Jesus is talking to cities. And one thing he says is, The more you know, the more you're going to be held accountable for. Some of the cities saw Jesus, heard him, saw miracles. Other cities didn't have as many that they saw. But Jesus is saying, think about this as a city. There's a level of responsibility before the Lord that's corporate, that's together. And we don't hear that very often in the Western culture. But it's a truth coming right from this passage. Now, uh, when you think about Auburn, there's a calling on your life that's geographical. Our church is in Auburn. We have a responsibility in Auburn to meet needs, bring food, love people, uh, love our neighbors, share Jesus. We have a responsibility. We are praying for, we love our city. We're praying for the very best for Auburn. And together, we want to be in uh, following the Lord in this location. But then maybe you live in a different city. 
So then we also think about the sound. People who live in other states, they're just going to maybe think of this whole area of Seattle. And in some sense, yeah, the sound really is uh, almost like a massive city as well. And we think about the opportunities we have. And I'm so glad our church is connected to other churches and thinking more and more how we can reach the sound together. And that's a key. So there's responsibility that's geographic. And Jesus highlights this. Now think for a minute about Minneapolis. That's where I was born. It's close to my heart. Spent my first 18 years in the Twin Cities. And what's happening in Minneapolis? There's been tragedy in Minneapolis. It's international news right now. Uh, There's a lot of people hurting in Minneapolis. And then there's a lot of people in need. And I want to take a look at this picture right here because 85 uh, requests came out for 85 meals for families. And people around Minneapolis Uh, Look at that. That's thousands. That's like a mountain of cereal and house supplies and groceries. And uh, yes, there's tragedy in Minnesota right now, but there's also God can bring his grace in the middle of a tragedy. And we need to love each other in our cities. We want our cities to be places. In the prayer time this week, I talked about from the book of Jeremiah, how God restores a city and a city can be known for his renown. God can rebuild a city. God can lay the spiritual foundation for a city. God can change relationships in a city. And we need to start praying for our city, serving our city, loving our city. And you get a picture of that. One way that we're involved here as a church is connected with Seattle Union Gospel Mission. There's 90 churches that are partners and we're one of them. And the Union Gospel mission brings food that then the churches distribute. And during the virus, this will encourage you, during the virus, in these 90 churches, 150,000 pounds of food has been distributed. And we're one of those churches that can help feed people who are in need. That's over 6,000 families that are receiving food just during the virus alone. So let's pray for our city. Let's serve our city together. And then here's a last reminder. Jesus in the seventh truth says, you have authority. And take a look because this gets wild. In verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So this is the debrief, all right? They're coming back to the Lord. And this is what Jesus says. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Uh, Please don't try that at home, especially with bare feet. Start walking on snakes and scorpions. You can really twist scripture and end up in a mess. But this is what it means. Satan losing power. There's authority. There's authority. And uh, the one who's in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who's in the world. You know, earlier in Luke chapter 9, they, the disciples were struggling. They, they couldn't cast out a demon from someone who was demon-possessed. And Jesus keeps telling them, you need prayer, you need fasting, you need faith, and you're going to cast out demons. They have authority that they don't even know about. You have authority, the power of God, that maybe you're unaware of or maybe you're not exercising. In Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Spirit, that light In you, you're the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. He calls you the light of the world. And your light, the light of the Lord, is more powerful than the darkness we see around us today. So don't be discouraged. Don't be defeated. Don't be in despair. Why? Because the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. And you've been given authority and power in the name of Jesus, in alignment with him, abiding with him, to bring light that overcomes the darkness that you see. And they're taking all this in. I think they're blown away. Uh, Everything that's happening, everything the Lord's saying. In verse 23, 
Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What's Jesus doing sending out this one church, 72 people? What's he doing? He's building a spiritual fire. He's changing the spiritual temperature. Lives are being changed. We had a fire in our backyard. First fire of the summer. It was a good time. Our kids are always excited. And this fire took a little longer to get started. Now, eventually the fire came, and here's a picture of the fire. Uh, I'll tell you, I think there was about 72 sticks that went into that fire right there. And I was thinking of the metaphor of the fire. And what happened? Fires start small. 72 people, you're going to say, well, how's this going to change the world? 72 people, they don't even have a lot of stuff with them, right? They're going out as lamb in the middle of wolves. It starts small, starts small. When we started the fire in our backyard, it was interesting. There was only one child, because it wasn't starting right away, who said, I'm in, I'm here, I'm with you, let's try this. Uh, Not everyone is going to say yes to the spiritual temperature going up. But then what happens? Uh, when we see that the fire begins and the fire starts to grow, you've got to bring substance. You gotta, we tried to move forward with the fire. I'm optimistic, I'll admit it, with a bunch of wet wood. You're not going to get a fire with a bunch of wet wood. Spiritually, a bunch of wet wood, you're not going to get a fire. It's got to be flammable. You've got to have people that are flammable, that get together, and the spiritual temperature starts to change, and they get hot, and then you need substance. You need the Word of God. You need the Spirit of God. And then some more of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And pretty soon, these people are getting filled up. And you know what? It gets a little crazy. Smoke's coming out, right? There's little uh, embers flying around. You don't want to start a forest fire, but smoke's coming out, and you've got to move around. You've got to pivot. You've got to avoid the smoke. And, and then eventually, what happens? Oh, there's a fire. Now more people want to come around. Now maybe other kids want to come back. And they're like, oh, we'll come back when the fire, oh, the fire started, now we'll come in. But the 72, God's using them to start a fire. Maybe God wants to use you to start a fire, spiritual fire that's going to blaze. We need awakening in our land. And I want to show you a picture. Uh, at the end, of course, we've got s'mores. And, and look at that. You might like your s'more White, brown, black, burnt, whatever you like it, smoke's coming. Uh, That's a happy customer right there. But uh, everyone likes the s'mores, but the building of the fire. Jesus is building a fire. Everyone likes the fruit, but who's going to say, I'm in, I'm flammable, as hot as you want to make it, Lord, I'm in, let's go. And God changed so many lives then. And and here's the verse that I want to end on. It's verse 20. And this has been a game changer for me. This has helped me in ministry so many times. This has brought me so much peace. Because this is a passage about doing and doing and doing and doing. But I want to tell you, there's being and there's doing. There's identity and then there's activity. Your activity is not your identity. Doing can never substitute from being. And Jesus is going to lay this out, and he says it in verse 20. And I've come back to this so many times. Uh, Verse 20, he says, because they're so excited, they're so happy. God, you're doing it. It's amazing what's happening. And they're just overflowing with this joy, and they're so excited. And he puts it all in perspective. He says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, your greatest joy shouldn't be something you're doing. Your greatest joy is your relationship with the Lord. 
Jesus is your greatest joy. And I'll tell you how this brings me peace. Sometimes after a full week, and then there's that day off, and that full week, so many things have happened. And some are still in the middle of, you know, trying to figure these out, and some went well, and then some, okay, we're learning, and there's just this, all this stuff going on, and I just step back and I say, hold on a second, that's all important, but it's just doing. And Jesus, I've got nothing better, because that's just doing. That's just doing, and that's got its place. But Jesus, with you, this is where the peace is. This is where the peace is. As the worship team comes up, we're going to close with a song, The Goodness of God. The goodness of God. That's the heart of this passage, the goodness of Jesus. Why is he sending people out so more people can experience the goodness of God? Uh, How about you? The goodness of God. Would you open up right now and just receive the goodness of the Lord in your life? It's greater than any situation you're facing. Uh, Let's pray together. Father God, as we sing about your goodness, as we proclaim your goodness, Lord, we pray that we would let it sink in, Jesus, just how good you are to us. And Lord, the calling on our lives is also good. Lord, I pray we would have a healthy identity so that the activity in our lives will be aligned with our identity. We would be secure and also sent. God, I pray that you would, in both ways, during this song, just remind us that we are secure in this relationship, secure in your love, and also, what an honor to be sent. God, as we listen to you during this song, as we sing to you, as we praise you, I pray you communicate with us right to our minds, our hearts, our souls. And we pray in your name, Lord. Amen.